and welcome. Um, I was I was asked to, to let you know, um, if you weren't able to grab a muffin on the way in, please do so on the way out. Um, if you weren't able to grab one because you're like, wow, that's just too big, take it with you, have it for dessert later. Um, if you're celebrating a birthday, put a couple candles in it, call it a birthday cake, it'll be great. It doesn't matter. It'll be perfectly fine um, for you. But yeah, thank you. I want to start here. Somebody said that a child is carried in its mother's womb for nine months. Somebody doesn't know that a child is actually carried in its mother's heart forever. Somebody said it takes about six weeks to get back to normal after you've had a baby. Somebody doesn't know that once you're a mother, normal is histoire. Somebody said that you learn how to be a mother by instinct. Somebody never took a three-year-old shopping. Somebody said being a mother is boring. Somebody never rode in a car driven by a teenager with a learner's permit. Somebody said good mothers never raise their voices. Somebody never came out the back door just in time to see your child hit a golf ball through the neighbor's kitchen window. Somebody said you don't need an education to be a mother. Somebody never helped their fourth grader or second grader or third grader or whatever grade you've had at home over the last few years with their math homework. Somebody said you can't love your fifth child as much as you loved the first. Somebody doesn't have five kids. <laughs> Somebody said a mother can find all the answers to her child-rearing questions in books. Have you met those parents? <laughs> Somebody's never had their child stuff beans up their nose. <laughs> Somebody said the hardest part of being a mother is labor and delivery. Mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Somebody never watched their child, their baby get on the bus for the first time to go to kindergarten. Somebody said a mother can stop worrying about her child after she gets married. Tell my mom that. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> she might smack you. Somebody doesn't know that marriage just adds a new son or daughter-in-law to the mother's heartstrings. Somebody said a mother's job is done when her last child leaves home. Somebody's never had grandchildren Right, Williams family? <laughs> anyway, just talking to Dave earlier. Somebody said that your mother knows you love her, so you don't need to tell her. Somebody isn't a mother, <laughs> if that's the case. So happy Mother's Day, obviously. On this special day, we want to take time to all let all of the ladies that have joined us, whether in person or online, we want to let them know how much they are loved. First and foremost by their father, their heavenly father. He created you on purpose and for a purpose and he loves you so much that he willingly offered his life for you so that regardless of your life, you could have his peace, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness. And we never want to overlook the hardships of this day. We know there are many different reasons why women might be struggling on a day like this. And so we would like to love on you just a little bit, ladies, for a moment here. And so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask if it's okay if we specifically pray over you. And so what I'm going to ask is I'm going to ask for all of the men in the room to just stand don't touch, don't just stand. 
turn to the women around you and bow your head. And symbolically, you can absolutely pray your own prayer as well. I'm going to be praying out loud. But let's just pray over all the women in this room this morning. Father God, Father God, women are such a precious gift from you. We can go all the way back to the very beginning where it took us dumb men. You sent us out on our own and let us come to our own conclusion that, hey, you know what? Something's missing. Something's just not right in this world. And then you put us to sleep and you created this incredible being we call woman. And we are thankful for that. Father, by many, many women in this room are indeed mothers. Father, we thank you for that privilege and honor of being parents. It is a gift of God. And Father, we know there are women in this room that, that are not, for various reasons, have not been able to be, have not chosen to be, have been unable to conceive. And Father, you know those women's hearts in this moment as well. And your heart truly breaks for them as well. We want to lift them up and their spirits up. We want you to fill them with an extra measure of your peace, your grace, your mercy in this moment. Encourage them in this moment. Father, we know we've got women in this room that are, are suffering right now, maybe themselves physically. Father, maybe as a tough mom always does, doesn't let anyone else know. No one else knows the suffering she's going through, whether it's physical or mental or emotional. And Father, you know the suffering she's going through in this moment. Would you please give her a little extra dose of your spirit so that whatever it is she's dealing with, she can sense your presence right now. Father, we know there's women in this room that have difficult relationships with their children, difficult relationships in their life, and Father, they need you to heal those relationships. Father, there's mothers in this room that are worried, worried about their kids, their grandkids. Father, the list goes on and on. Would you please grant them your spirit today and lift that worry from them. Turn it over to you. Allow you to handle it. Father, you got this. We know it. We just have to release it to you. How special it is that we can gather as a body and no one in this room can be alone in this moment. So many people come to places like this alone, but Father, we never ever want them to feel alone while they're here because you first and foremost are here with them, but Father, you've given us the privilege of joining them in worship today. Father, we love you and we pray for your hand to continue to be upon this service and if there are women in this room that are struggling in this life, I pray that today they lay that struggle down at your feet and give it over to you. Father, we love you. Amen. Our text today is in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. So if you've got a Bible, great. Turn there. Open your phones, your tablets, whatever. If you need a Bible, there's some on the chair underneath you. If you need a need a Bible, like you don't own a Bible, you don't have a Bible of your own, take the Bible under the chair. I need to order a couple more cases anyway. Take the Bible. It is yours. A free gift to you from us. Don't ever think that you're doing anything wrong. Take that Bible and use it. Please, 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 please. That's why they're there. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now, men, I'll address us just for a moment here. It might seem like I'm applying these teachings a little more today toward the ladies, but hear me very clearly. These teachings are absolutely for us as well, so don't tune them out. 
all right? The fact, in fact, actually the second teaching toward the end that we'll speak of today specifically mentions us, fathers, all right? So it, it gets to us specifically, but it, it, more general. The reality is this, God's word, God's word is for everyone here. And my challenge to the women and the men today is twofold. First and foremost challenge today is to set an example, to set an example for our kids, if we have kids, to follow. And secondly, to purposefully, purposefully set aside time to teach our children some of the fundamental truths about God, about his son Jesus and his spirit. And if you don't have children or aren't around children, that's okay. I'll explain to you exactly how this applies to you and who God is wanting to share these things with later. Luke 10, verse 38. Here we go. Jesus and his disciples, they've arrived at a home of a woman named Martha. Now, we don't really know much about Martha at this point, other than she has a sister named Mary. Both of those figures play a large role in the ministry of Jesus, but this is kind of our introduction, as if maybe Jesus came to this town, was teaching, and Martha invited Jesus over to her home to continue that teaching. It appears to be the very beginning of their relationship with Jesus. So here he is. He's doing a home group. He's doing a small group Bible study at the home of Martha. Literally, that's what he's doing. Now remember, as we read this very familiar passage to many of us, this is the first challenge to set an example, all right? Verse 38, Jesus and his disciples were on their way. He came to a village where a woman named Martha had opened her home to him, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he had to say. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made, things that had to get done. She came to him and she asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do this work by myself? Tell her to get up and help me. By the way, this is probably also an indication that their relationship was just forming. Martha hadn't quite grasped what was going on yet. Jesus said, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only a few are needed. Actually, Martha, there's only one thing that you really need to be concerned about. And Mary, well, Mary's chosen that thing. Mary's chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, I think it's very interesting here, this text, because Luke doesn't ever tell us what Jesus is teaching. We have zero concept, no idea what on earth Jesus is talking about that is so riveting. So instead of focusing on the teaching, Jesus, or Luke focuses on the teacher. You've got two women here, both of whom are serving the Lord Jesus Christ in this moment. Martha is performing the duties that were expected of her. Hospitality, hugely valued in the Jewish culture. In fact, it was a woman's honor and reputation to be really good at this and manage her household well. Martha wasn't doing anything wrong. So ladies that are good cooks and wonderful doing those things, you're not doing anything wrong. We promise. Keep doing it. Right? Jesus never suggests that. He only suggests that there's something better. There's something better that she should be doing in that moment. All right? Now, before we think of this example, and I heard you laugh at Martha for what she was so concerned about, we think this example is so outdated or irrelevant. Just let me share with you conversations I've had with people. How many men and women do you know that have stayed home from something like, oh, say, church, so that you could get the fill-in-the-blank holiday meal done in time for your family to come over? 
Explain to me exactly how that's different. Or others might say, well, I've got this task I've got to finish up. I've got this maintenance, this project that I really got to finish up at home or, or work. So I just couldn't make it to, to church. I just couldn't make it to that study. I couldn't make it to that small group. You see, we all have this priority problem in, 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 together. We, we all have this difficulty together. You and I choosing to do something else instead of learning about Jesus. Now, we all have great excuses, I mean reasons, why we had to fill in the blank. This is the example. Adults, teenagers in the room, we have to set the example for those people around us. It might be our kids. It might be those family members that are waiting on dinner that don't attend church that don't have a relationship with God, what are you saying to them when you value your relationship with Jesus over cooking a meal for them? You're sharing your priorities very clearly. Our relationship, our Jesus, our desire to grow closer to him, to learn more about him, to be part of and serve within the family of God should be our highest priority as believers. Remember what Martha was doing was not wrong it was simply at the wrong time. The, mar- the text says that she was distracted. She wasn't sinning. She was distracted. She wasn't focused on Jesus. Her complaint was an honest one. Parents, have any of you ever had one of your kids complain about the other one not helping? Yes, probably this morning. And under normal circumstances, Mary absolutely should have been helping her sister. And Jesus probably would have been willing to tell her so. But in this moment, she was captivated. She had a guest in her home, and it wasn't just a normal guest. His teachings were riveting. She was drawn to his feet as her rabbi or his teacher. She sat in the position of a disciple. That position wasn't even permitted for women during that time period, yet Jesus had welcomed her in. This passage is about discipleship, what it looks to follow Jesus and be devoted to his teachings even when there are other things to be done. Don't misunderstand. Again, Jesus is not telling Martha, hey, what you're doing, your hospitality, that's not important to me. That's not appreciated. No, 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 no. Only that those things should be done either later or earlier, depending on the situation. Put first things first. Parents, grandparents, we have to set the example. Where do our kids, our neighbors, our coworkers, whoever it is that sees our lives on a regular basis, where do they find us? Do they find us regularly at the feet of Jesus? Do they find us daily in his word? You know how many people have been saved because someone took their Bible to their lunch break at work and every day would sit and read? And people would inquire what you're doing. (laughs) And then you start a Bible study at your work during your lunch break. You know how many people in America have been brought to Christ by something as simple as that? Do they daily see us in quiet times of prayer? Are these the behaviors that those closest to us might notice? Do they see Sunday as this time set aside completely and totally for worship for you and your family? Because these are the things that Jesus is asking us to do. 
How many times has God, Jesus in particular, looked at me and said, hey, Chris, you know, you're worried and you're upset about a whole lot of things, but you really don't need to be. As a matter of fact, there's really only one thing that you really need to focus on. Chris, it's just me. Don't bother yourself with all of those other things superficially. You know what? Uh, Your yard is going to need mowed again, Chris. Leave it alone. Uh, I know I'm God, but I don't even know if I can help your golf game. So just just focus on me. You know, the fish are still going to be in the lake after church. The food, it'll be there to cook when you get home. That project, it'll get done. Oh, you stayed home to rest. Let me tell you about rest. Have you experienced my rest for you? This is what he has in store for us. And this is not a lesson to be learned for us believers. This is a lifestyle to live. So what changes do you and I need to make? What distractions have you and I placed in our lives, intentionally placed in our lives, that are keeping us from the feet of Jesus? Have no idea where to start? How do I begin setting this example? How can I refocus, reorient my life? Well, we're going to talk about a great place to start, a very familiar place to probably most of you in the room, and we'll do a little test here in a moment. Please don't read ahead and don't speak out loud yet. I'll ask you to here in a moment. How many of us have recited this prayer? Now, let me read it from Luke chapter 11, verse 1. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John the Baptist had taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Now, some of you might be saying, well, that kind of sounds familiar, but there's something missing. There's something not quite right. And you're correct. Luke gives us the cliff notes. Do you remember, remember those cliff notes? And they changed them to spark notes, and now everybody just cheats off the internet. So I don't know. Um, we didn't have the internet back then, I guess, so whatever. Um, Luke gives us this abbreviated version. So probably most of you remember the one from Matthew. And I'm going to do a little test here. So if you know this, you shouldn't have to read it. Uh, most of you probably know this. If you don't, that's fine. Just listen, because it is a beautiful sounding Thing. It comes from Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. Please, you can say it with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. A couple things there. That last part doesn't exist in the Bible. I know, shocking, right? Yeah, we added that later on in life. Second of all, you all spoke the King James Version. How about that? Although you didn't completely because you didn't say trespasses, you said debtors. I heard a few trespasses. Who was a trespasser out there? I heard a few trespasses. All right, there we go. Yeah, there's something about that. What's really funny is if you look at most of the modern translations, 
The Lord's Prayer is almost identical to the King James, even in the mind. It's like, okay, we're going to change all the language a little bit, but we're going to leave that one the same because everybody already knows it like that. I, I don't know why they did that, but I just found that funny because no one knows what the word hollowed means. Sorry, you don't have a clue, um, except for something maybe in the log, it's hollow. But that's it, right? You don't have any idea because we don't use those words anymore. They don't make sense to us. But it's an interesting test. The last part, like I said, not in there, uh, not in there. This is called the Lord's Prayer. That's probably how you learned it. However, that's really not quite an accurate title. It should have been called the Disciples' Prayer because it is Jesus giving them a model, an example of how to pray. Now, what Jesus gave them, not unusual at all in the life of the faithful Jew. They had many prayers that they recited. They memorized and recited every single day as a part of their worship to God. Some people, especially modern people, question the sincerity of such memorized and recited prayers. Here's what I can tell you about that. That is completely up to the heart of the person reciting the prayer. You can be just as genuine with the same recited, repeated words as you could be with your own new creation. So don't judge harshly those people that maybe fall to this to use. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a heart issue about the person speaking to their God. I want to briefly go through the significance of, of each of these before we go on to the second part of the teaching for today. Each of the items in the Lord's prayer list. This is Jesus' prayer list, if you will, the, the example of how to, how to make a prayer list if you ever wanted to write one down. They're very important, absolutely, and they serve as this great model. Do we, should we pray this specific prayer every day? Mm, that's up to the individual, I would say. But should we pray these things? Yes, every day. That's what Jesus is trying to get across. Our Father, the first part, addressing God in his perfect role as our heavenly Father. There is an intimate connection here, and I know this is a barrier for many people because our earthly Father has corrupted our vision of what a Father should be. So our duty then, if we become a follower of Christ, when we become a follower of Christ, is to understand the true role of a father and understand that God perfects that role. It's important that we use this word when we speak to our father. Why? Why? Because unless we can speak this to him and mean it, then there's a gap here that we're not willing to breach yet. We don't fully understand his authority in our life. And we don't fully understand the intimate relationship that he desires to have with us. If we're always using those really distant words for God, then we're not understanding how close he truly is to us. And that's what the, symbolism, the symbolic nature of that word, symbolism, I don't know why that word wouldn't come out, um, of that word is for us as we speak and we communicate with our God. Hallowed be your name. Your name, God, is holy. It is set apart above every other name. God, you are so much greater than all of us. We are in full and complete awe and wonder of you. We've got to have that as a part of this conversation with him to understand his ways are so much higher than our ways. Your kingdom come. Do we know what we're praying when we say that? God, we want your just, your perfect, your absolute rule right here, right now on this earth. Do you realize we share that prayer with the apostles? 
Those 11 after Jesus, they prayed this prayer. They wanted God's justice in that moment, and every believer between then and now prays this same thing. Have we cried out for this? Are we longing for his kingdom to fully come and for his perfect justice to reign? Don't pray it if you don't mean it. Do you long for that in your life? Give us our daily bread. Absolutely, the prayer shifts to acknowledging that our most basic needs are provided for our God alone, and we should come to him with our request. He loves us, and he wants, he desires, he longs to provide for our needs, all of them. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us or debts or trespasses, whichever version you're familiar with. Jesus tells us that we must daily seek forgiveness. And the first time you wake up in the morning or before you go to bed at night and you're like, you know, I don't really have anything to repent of today, go ahead and repent of that, okay? Because that's where we're at in our relationship with God. We all fall short every single day. But as we seek forgiveness, we got to be forgiving other people all along the way. Don't come before God and ask forgiveness, and then he'll say, well, yeah, but what about so-and-so that you need to forgive? Yeah, yeah, don't worry about them, God. Just forgive me. No, no, no. That's not the conversation. We must be willing to give to others as we receive from God. In fact, Jesus demands that we do. And then finally, lead us not into temptation, that final request for spiritual protection, spiritual protection. Now, some ask the question, now, well, why would God lead us into temptation? No, no, no. We're asking him to lead us away <laughs> from temptation. So what are we doing? We're acknowledging, first, that there is temptation around us. We're acknowledging, second, that you and I can't fight it all off. We need help with this. And God, here's the thing. I know if left to my own desires, I would probably lead myself right down the wrong path every single time. I need your help. God, I need your help. I need you to lead me away from the temptation. I want to follow you in the right direction. Jesus' example, it gives us this perfect package. It's a picture of our total reliance upon God, his position, his control, his provision, and even his protection in our lives. Do you need to recite these specific words? No, he didn't say that. Could you? Yes. But if you do, don't make it a ritual. How many times have you gotten together in a circle and you just all recited the Lord's Prayer? Can you tell me what the meaning was in that? Other than it was something that maybe everybody but one or two in the group knew. Was there any, any depth to that prayer with just words being recited? Because he's very specific when he says, don't pray like the, mm-hmm, don't do that. When we pray this, if we pray this prayer, there's nothing wrong with that. And here's what you got to do. You pray from a heart knowing and remembering the person that first spoke those words and gave them to you and me as a guide. We think of Jesus as we speak those words and what he did for us that allows us to come before him and speak those words. Then that prayer is more than worth reciting. It's powerful. These are the things that Jesus tells us are the most important things to consider with his heavenly father and ours. Moms, dads, grandparents, aunts, uncles, family, friends, neighbor down the road. Okay, I, Some of you, you might not understand the impact that you have. My kids flock to some of the grandparent type folks around our little neighborhood that has several retired people in it. 
Think of the example those retired folks could be setting for my children that are helping them or playing in their yard or doing whatever. Just consider those opportunities. We never get a chance. What are we teaching? What is the example we're giving our kids? Are we teaching our children to pray? Are we teaching our kids? Are we daily praying with our kids? You can't imagine the power of the example that you can set for them. But you can probably already see, regardless of their age, what it looks like if you're not setting the example well. Here's what's awesome. Are you here today? Then it's not too late to change. It's not too late to start setting a better example. Start today. Look at your schedule. Look at your life schedule and evaluate your priorities. Martha was forced, (laughs) because of the words of Jesus, to evaluate her priorities. Do you think she ever made that mistake again? I highly doubt it. She got up early, probably, because that sounds like Martha's, and she drug Mary out of bed with her to get things done before. (laughs) I'm just saying. Evaluate your priorities. Is he first? Pray with your kids, your grandkids. Pray with them out loud. Why? Because when you do, your kids hear your heart. First, they hear your heart for their God. Your kid will never ask the question, no matter where they go in life, does my mom or my dad or my grandma, do they love Jesus? Do they know Jesus? They'll never have to ask that question if you pray out loud with them. (laughs) Um, Pray for them. Let them hear your heart for them. And never will your child be put in a situation where they're asking the question, is my mom or my dad or my grandma or my grandpa or my aunt or my uncle, do they love me? They'll never have to ask that question if you pray with them every day and you remind them through that prayer how much you love and you care for them. Let them hear your heart for the people around you, your friends, your family, whoever. Let them hear your heart for this world because when you do this, it for once and for all makes your faith real to the person you're praying with because they probably didn't know these things about you. They probably didn't know you were thinking about these things, considering these things. They might not have known what was going on in the world. They may have not not known what was wrong with Aunt Sue that you're now praying for in this prayer. They may not have known those things, but they're hearing in them as this prayer. And you know what they're gonna do after the prayer? They're gonna ask you about them and you're gonna have a chance to explain. They hear your heart and your faith becomes real. It is not just something we do or we go to on a Sunday morning at church. When they see and hear it lived out every day as you bow before your God and before them, it's an incredible example. And if you've never done it before, start today. Start today not too late. I want to close with this final teaching because it's all part of the same teaching on prayer that Jesus and Luke all packaged together nice and neatly. He concludes his his teaching on prayer and he likes it to that of a friend. Listen, it's kind of strange. Verse five, then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, knock, knock, knock. Hey friend, hey friend, I need you to lend me three loaves of bread. You see, a friend of mine stopped by on a journey And he's come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose to to the one inside, 
Don't bother. He answers, don't bother me. Come on, it's late. The door's locked. My children and I were all in bed. They all live in the same room. They're all sleeping on the same floor. If I get up, I go do something. I'm going to wake up the kids, and nobody wants to wake up the kids. Come on, leave me alone. I can't get up. I can't give you anything. But I tell you, even though he won't get up and give you the bread because he's your friend, he will because of your shameless audacity. (laughs) He will surely get up and give you as much as you need. You see, The friend in this story really didn't have a choice. There was someone in need, and in their culture, it was all but mandatory to welcome in the traveler and provide for their needs. Was it an inconvenience? Well, you've had relatives stay with you. Is it an inconvenience? (laughs) Mm -hmm. But it was your responsibility. And so they honored the request. The neighbor honored the request not because of their friendship. As a matter of fact, it was left up to their friendship. There's no way he would have honored the request because it was ridiculous at that hour of the night. As a matter of fact, he was irresponsible. You should have set aside a small portion of your meal just in case somebody stopped by. Did you know you were supposed to do that? You, know, you were irresponsible. You shouldn't have done that. Why are you making me do this for you? But because he was bold, hour of the night, because he was persistent, wouldn't quit knocking, wouldn't quit asking I love those words that the NIV uses, his shameless audacity. Really annoying. Because you can't, all right, fine. You know the person they begged you before too, right? This neighbor was unrelenting in his request. And his request wasn't a selfish one. He wasn't asking for anything for himself. He was asking to honor someone Else, Jesus is letting us know that this is how we should come before him. Not that he's not going to answer us just because we're his friend or his child. No, no, no. But we should come before him knowing with that same spirit that he will listen and he will answer according to his will. And when we're asking on behalf of someone else, we go with that same shameless audacity and we beg and we grovel and we plead for God to intervene in those situations according to his will will. And Jesus continues, and so I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will not find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who seeks, or who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. To the one who knocks, the door will be open. This passage is so familiar. It's so, it's so powerful. It's so profound. Some of you might be familiar with the passage in Revelation, where Jesus stands at the door and Knox, what is he seeking? Well, he's seeking out the unbeliever. He's coming to them and he's knocking. He won't barge into anyone's life. He's a gentleman. But he knocks and he waits for you to answer. But you see, once you're a part of the family of God, once you give your life to him, now who is the one doing the knocking? Us. I'm knocking on Jesus' door and he tells me if I knock, he's gonna answer. When I ask, he's gonna answer. He's gonna give. This passage is so simple, but he's not promising the believer that they will receive anything and everything they want. And I know within the church, there's a lot of teachers that will say, well, this is all you gotta do. And when you ask, God will give you anything. No, no, he doesn't say that. That is not what this promise is about. This promise is tied directly to the will of God. And these promised blessings are tied to the good gifts in this following passage. These are the gifts that we receive from the Holy Spirit of God in verse 13 below. Which of you fathers, verse 11, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? 
funny story. While I was preparing this message a few weeks ago, our very own Eric Somhile sent me a, a, a little um, commentary, if you will, on this particular passage. It comes from the, the pastor author, his name's John MacArthur. Now, he spoke on this when, when he was teaching on the passage from Matthew that we read the Lord's Prayer from earlier, but same context, all right? And this is what it said. It's a little different look at this passage. So a child here in this scenario is asking his father for a loaf of fish or an egg. Again, Matthew context, so has a few extra things. Food is what the kid was asking for. I'm hungry, Dad. Give me some food. Bread and fish, popular thing for Jesus to dole out, right? We've seen that a few examples out there where he's done that. What loving father would give a child a rock or a snake? Now, here's the thing. When I, as a kid, and every time until this moment when I read this commentary on this, I always thought, snake, who's, what kind of dad's going to go give their kid a viper, you know, a cobra, a rattlesnake? It's going to bite them. And, okay, not that kid. You know the ones I'm talking about, right? There's some of your kids maybe you want to, but no, you're not going to do that. But that's the thing. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about nourishment. We're talking about food. That snake is not, we're not talking about being alive and poisonous and ready to bite you and kill you. No, no, no. The suggestion here is of a cooked snake. See, a cooked snake would look just like any other ordinary meat. Maybe it even looks like fish, don't know, never eaten snake. And unlike the stone, would actually meet the sun's physical need. But you see, the snake was forbidden that was an unclean animal, according to Leviticus eleven twelve. Snakes were not to be eaten by Jews. A loving Jewish father would not deceive and defile his son into dishonoring the word of God by tricking his son into eating unclean food. <laughs> you see, our Lord is simply showing us that it's not natural for a father to ignore his son's physical needs. Of course, you're going to feed your kid but you're also going to feed him spiritually. It's so important. Now, I find those kinds of texts amazing. I don't know how many times I've read that story, even taught on that story. Never really thought about that aspect of it. Always thought about the other. See, we can read and we can read the Bible and let, yet learn new concepts, new ideas all the time. We're not inventing anything new. The original meaning has not changed, will not change. Jesus just desires for us to fully apply his words in the same way that he desired the original hearers. And sometimes there's some context that we don't know. And when we learn that, it opens our eyes to a whole new teaching. Adults, men, and especially women today. These are some very specific, real-world, real-life examples of how to conduct ourselves today. The example that we set for those around us, we have no idea the impact it can have. Those that are most influenced, obviously, are our kids, if they're around still. This is how we are to pray to our God. This is how we should be living before our God. These are the examples that we should be setting for those around us. Are we going to be perfect? Absolutely not. But are we even trying? We went to a conference yesterday, the staff did, on discipleship. And one of the biggest takeaways that I, I, I heard was actually from uh, the, the third speaker of the day. A whole bunch of little tidbits and little ideas and little things, but, but he, he said simply this. He said, anybody that comes in brings a friend that they've told about Christ. Um, he, he just shares with them the idea that, well, now you're their pastor. You know that, right? 
No, 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 pastor. You're the pastor. No, 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 no. You're the one that, you're the one that shared Christ with him. You, you're the go-to person. Will I be come along for the ride? Sure, I'll help out however, but that's your relationship. God chose you to be the one to share his love and mercy and grace and forgiveness and salvation with them, and now they're here and they want to accept that. That's awesome. Congratulations. Well done. Keep up the good work, and they're yours now. They're yours to help lead and guide and set an example for clearly you've already started doing that. They followed you to Jesus at this point. That's all of us. You are the gospel messenger. You are the sent ones from this place. We gather to be reinforced. We gather to be encouraged. We gather to be edified, to be built up so that we can be sent out and be the gospel to those around us. Who should be sitting in that chair next to you? Who do you know? Who do you know? Father, as we come before you, we pray in this part of the service and we consider all that you've done, the examples you've given us. Father, we want to lift up the women in the room today. As we said earlier, Father, we know some of them, life is, is going pretty well right now. We thank you. Father, I pray every day that we thank you for that because life can be hard. But Father, we know there's women in the room that are struggling with a variety of things, not even going to try to list them all. You know each and every one of their hearts intimately. You know the struggle they have. And they know whether or not they've truly turned that struggle over to you. And so our prayer today is that they will release that struggle to you. They will allow you to guide, to assist, to encourage them through that difficult, this difficult moment in their life. Father, if we as a parent, a mother, a father, a grandparent feel like maybe we have fallen short, maybe we haven't taken this as serious as we need to, Father, this is serious business. It is a joy, it is an honor to worship you, it is an honor to love and be loved by you. But Father, it's also a responsibility that you've given us to seek and save the lost, and that begins at home with the examples we set for them. And so maybe, maybe we've fallen short in that example. And so, Father, if that's us today, let us not be ashamed. Father, we all fall short of the glory of God every single day. But let us not be ashamed. Let us admit that we've fallen short. And let's take that failure to you and allow you to turn that failure into a brand new being. A new inspiration in this new week, in this new day that you've given us to be a better example for you to those who we love the most. Father, we've got people all around the room that have those red lanyards on, wanting to pray, desiring to pray with people that are seeking these things from you, we pray. that those conversations can happen. Maybe they come here to the front of the room. It is always open for people to come to you. Father, if there's anyone listening, especially if they're a father or mother that have never made that ultimate decision to fully commit their life to you, there is no better example they could set on this day than to come forward and confess your name as their Lord and Savior and be immersed in the waters of baptism. And maybe that child of theirs, that estranged child of theirs, isn't in the room today. Father, we have a recording. We can clip that. We can send that right to their, their inbox so they can see that their mom, their dad, their grandma, their grandpa is changing. Father, you have begun a good work in them. And they forever will be changed because of what you did on that cross. Father, we love you. Let us celebrate. Let us worship. Let us remember. And Father, let us respond to the moving of your spirit in this moment. Yeah. Before we take communion, we're going to